As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. The only way to score is, of course, to play uh, with a handbrake off. Hello and welcome to the Athletics Arsenal podcast handbrake off. Uh, Although after Friday's match, it's a little bit of handbrake on, isn't it? Uh, In fact, it's handbrake on car won't start. You're holding everyone up at the traffic lights and you might have to get the timing belt changed, which as we know is an expensive business. I'm Ian Stone and this week I'm joined by Art de Roche and James McNicholas. Good morning, chaps. Morning, Ian. Morning, Ian. Morning, James. Morning. Uh, morning. Let's not ask how we are. We'll, we'll <laughs> get to that in a very short while. I should, uh, listener, give you a reminder that before we get going, uh, you can get yourself an athletic subscription for a third off the full price by heading to theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. That's theathletic.com forward slash Arsenal pod. I wanted to ask an opening question. Lucas Torreira was spotted at a theme park uh, at the weekend, although I'm not quite sure if he's tall enough to get on some of the rides. But the team were labouring away against Brentford at the same time, so we were wondering what roller coaster ride would you equate Arsenal to right now after League One? James, is it a roller coaster ride? I mean, so far it's only been down, right? Yeah, well, in 1998, my family went for a day out to Alton Towers and there was a brand new open ride there, called oblivion and basically (laughs) the whole ride i don't know if anyone's been on it but you basically it's one drop is the whole ride you sort of go up you're at the top and that i guess represents sort of the optimism ahead of a new season and then the entire ride they just hang you over a cliff edge basically and just drop you down uh and in fact i was too scared i was 12 at the time and i was too scared to go on the ride and apparently my brother and my dad went on it, and I just watched, stood from the side, and muttered the Lord's Prayer under my breath <laughs> as they went on this ride, which, for a child who wasn't even religious, was quite a, a bold move. Uh, so I think Oblivion would be the ride that, that we appear to be on right now. It seems, the thing is, if you hear a, uh, there's a ride called Oblivion, you think, that sounds like so much fun, doesn't it, really? Yeah. <laughs> it's not Oblivion. as fun as you might think. Who would go on that? Uh, Art, what about you? You're a young person. You're probably regularly riding roller coasters. I, I Honestly, I don't know when the last time I was on a ride was, 
the one thing that sticks out in my mind is um so in series one of the in-betweeners uh they go to fort park and um so for those who don't know will the main character he's been waiting for this for i guess i'll just say the whole episode uh the ride's called nemesis inferno and they get there they've queued for maybe one or two hours and he basically makes a very 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 big mistake once he gets on and rather than enjoying the ride he is just depressed for for the entire ride and i think that is probably a moment on a roller coaster that that was representative of friday night everybody's been waiting for that night for i guess three months now and it was not enjoyable at all. So <laughs> that's the most accurate description I could think of of hmm. a roller coaster and Arsenal at the minute. Yeah. Um, I used to go, when I was a kid, we used to go to Margate uh, on holidays. It's like Blackpool for poor Southerners, right? If you don't know. <laughs> and um, there was, a, there was a, a theme park there called Dreamland, um, which some of the older listeners might remember. It's still there. I'm not sure it's called that now. And there was a roller coaster in Dreamland and it was the first roller coaster I ever went on. And there was a man who used to, this was old school roller coaster. There was a man who used to operate it. So he would get on and he would sit facing us. So he was endlessly confronted with screaming people. And he used to sit impassively as we were thrown around uh, on this roller coaster ride. Uh, I, I, I mean, I, I know this is meant to be analogous to Arsenal season, but um, I'm not sure who the impassive person is because I certainly wasn't uh, watching that game on Friday night. But right now, yeah, we are being thrown around uh, a little bit and um, that would be mine, really. Uh, not a huge amount of fun and being impassively watched by uh, a stony-faced man <laughs> who'd seen it all before. That could be my dad, I suppose. Um, anyway, let's get into the nitty-gritty. I don't want to go, by the way, we don't want to go too much into all the detail of Friday because I imagine, James, you've already done this to a certain extent, on the Ask cast, and, and, and it was on Friday night. But there's a couple of things I do want to talk about. No Aubameyang, no Lacazette. Uh, of course, because we lost and everyone's very, very angry. There's a lot of people doubting they were unwell in some way. Uh, James, do you know any more than that? Mm, not that I'm allowed to say. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's... You know, health is a, a private matter, I guess, and, and it's difficult to be too explicit, you know, if the club have taken a decision not to do that. I would just say, you know, you need to look at the backdrop that we're playing in here and, um, you know, there is a global pandemic on, so I don't think it takes too great a leap of the imagination to wonder why those players might have been missing. Uh, OK, but can I then ask a follow-up question, which is why wouldn't they have said that? Doesn't that speak of a of a of a certain lack of communication at the club uh i, I don't actually know the specific reason that they ha that the, the club haven't communicated the type of illness that they have it may be to do with their own policies regarding privacy and information but i also wonder as well if from the premier league's perspective they don't want the first game of the season to become a covid story wouldn't surprise me if that was some sort of directive that came down from them as well. But, uh, you know, like I say, even with The Athletic, we have our own internal guidelines about what yeah. we can and can't say about a person's health. So uh, I can't disclose no. any more other than to say that 
I don't think it's as suspicious. I don't think the conspiracy theories have any real basis, to be honest with you. <laughs> Like they ever do. Uh, no mm. Renarsson either, uh, Art. I mean, we had a chat on this podcast last week about the fact that if Leno gets injured, we're down to Renarsson and Arthur Oconquo. We were just down to Arthur uh, on the bench then. Yeah, I mean, Arthur and uh, Carl Hein is the other academy product that's kind of... Making waves is the wrong word. I think made appearances in pre-season. So those... Yeah two other guys that I guess would step up in Renarsson's absence. But even even with Leno, I'm sure we'll get onto it at some point. But there were some shaky moments and it does just kind of hammer home how important it was to, to get a backup before the Premier League season started. I think that is probably the area when you look back, you think and you just wonder, even if you're not able to get your number one target, surely a number two target should have been in line to to be ready to to go to Brentford on that Friday night. And if anything happened to Burn Leno, then you could call upon that person. But yeah, it's just quite, um, I guess, concerning that that area in particular wasn't, wasn't already covered going into the Brentford game. And I know, okay, this time last week, we weren't expecting it to be covered, but um a few months back, I think a lot of people would have been expecting it to. So hopefully, I say hopefully, but I'm not sure if I can expect it to. But next week against Chelsea, we've got, what have we got? Almost five days, I guess. It's probably too short a window to get something done. Again, the importance of that is increasing with every passing day. James, I'm shaking my head here. I do not understand clubs that don't get their transfer business done before the start of the season. I mean, not to put too fine a point on it, by the time we get all the players in that we want to get in, and let's say there's a mad rush at the end of the uh, the transfer window, we could be nine points behind Spurs. True. I mean, I've had this debate with so many people in football about why do clubs leave their business to the end. And generally, they believe that's the best way of securing a deal. They think that, you know... When you get into those final frantic hours of the window, clubs will crack on things they might not have cracked on before. I'm not sure I entirely agree with that. I, you know, I think it can have the opposite effect too. You can end up panic buying or paying over the odds just to get something done in time. But bringing in ne- six players on the date, the last day of the transfer window. <laughs> yeah, and nevertheless, done. it does seem to be the prevailing wisdom in football that you know business happens at the end of the window. Personally, I was a big fan. <clears throat> pardon me, of when the, the deadline was before the season started. I just thought that made a hell of a lot of sense. I know Arsene Wenger was a big proponent of that too. And I'm slightly regretful that that's no longer the case. I just think it, it, there's something very clean about that that seems yeah. to be very logical. But I think clubs and agents and players like having that bit of flexibility because they know that sometimes the requirements of what a team needs changes in those first few games. You know, it becomes all the more apparent or all the more pressing what a team might need, arguably like we might be seeing with Arsenal and the right-back position. So, yeah, I, I wish the deadline had been and gone. Sadly, it hasn't, but there's still a lot of work to do, as Art suggests, between now and then. Yeah, I mean, I hope that extra couple of million quid that they save makes up for the fact that we'll be 14th by the time the transfer window ends. I mean, I genuinely, I, I do not understand the thinking when we're owned by someone who obviously has enough money to cover any extra because it surely does, it does affect league position at the end of the season. But anyway, 
you know, we'll, we'll talk. I mean, in some cases, so say like Martin Odegaard, for example, that's a player who probably wasn't available in the same sense until he until the last couple of days, really, when it became clear that Madrid couldn't really sell anybody else, and he wasn't selected for their squad at the weekend, and suddenly yeah. a deal like that you know, you can pick up. But I think you're right. A backup goalkeeper, uh, certain other parts of the squad definitely could have been dealt with before now. Yeah, and good luck to Tammy Abraham at Roma as well because, mm. you know, that we're fine for strikers apparently. Um, I, do you know, I don't think I've ever been quite so pissed off before a podcast <laughs> as I was. I genuinely, I, I mean, as Art said, I was really, really looking forward to it. And I wish, by the way, Art, you were there. Right, yeah. and and yeah. it was uh, for everyone who wasn't connected with Arsenal a joyous occasion. Right, I mean, I mean, Thomas Frank was kissing children at the end, and they were all singing <laughs> "Hey Jude," and I'm thinking this is the worst thing I have ever watched, and and I, I'm gutted that I couldn't share that joy. If it was Tottenham, my God, we'd have loved it, but because it was us, I don't really have a question, Art, but I guess you yeah. felt the same way. Charles Watts, who was also at the game, posted yeah. a picture on Twitter. Of the press box, <laughs> uh, he's yes, I saw this. he's got his head in his hands. Nick Ames from the Guardian just looks <laughs> uh, he he just looks in utter shock, and then I'm in the top left, yeah. and I'm just staring into nothingness, into <laughs> the abyss. It, so if he like someone's already memed it, like because yeah, um, someone yeah someone <laughs> someone said it to me on Twitter, but um, yeah that so that look in my face if anyone's seen it that is that's all I can use to sum up the feelings of that night because like you said if it was any other club then the occasion would have been amazing to be at but it was just kind of typical that that it happened to Arsenal I think because even like last on last week's pod I know I was quite pessimistic but this is why (laughs) um and I think yeah it it just it was not a good night. Um, no, not it was not a good night for way. everyone else. It was a good night for ninety nine point nine percent of the Premier League, but we're the zero point zero one percent that it was terrible for. It was a good night for football. Crowds were back in stadiums. You know, a a a, a former a former giant of the game was being slain by a newly promoted <laughs> club. I mean, I've I put a note on the um. On, on our little group chat that the whole thing was planned by Christoph, the Ed Harris character <laughs> in The Truman Show, because what a beautiful narrative. What a beautiful, beautiful narrative if you're not an Arsenal fan. Um, mistakes for both the goals. I mean, do we get on Callum Chambers' back too much? I mean, obviously, he's only fighting for his position with three other right-backs, so <laughs> there's obviously competition there, but he did. He was a bit slow to come out and engage Canos, uh, but... Uh, it was, you know what, he turned inside and it was a good shot. And um, and you can't blame Leno, can you, uh, James? I don't think you can blame Leno too much. No, all goals sort of uh, are reliant upon a degree of mistake. If you're analysing it from your own perspective, there are always things you can see wrong. But it is worth saying it was a good turn inside and a really good shot from Canos. I do think Chambers could have got out to him quicker and did slightly hang a leg out at a player who was always going to go inside. So... I think it is fair to criticise him on that one. As for the goalkeeper, I think it goes in the kind of one half yard of the goal that Leno hasn't got covered on that side. And I think that's kind of uh, understandable, really. It's a it's a very good strike and not much he can do about it. But I'll let Art have a say on Callum Chambers because, <laughs> you know, he's, he's, he's very pro-Chambers. And usually I am too, but I thought he, he, he'll be disappointed when he sees that goal back. I, I, yeah. Art, 
Ah, oh, I think that's that's uh, fair enough. I mean, you've been pro chambers, so have I. Actually, I thought there were a couple of games last year. I really like his crossing ability, but he really looked like it's almost like they targeted him in that game. Yeah, I think that was probably his worst performance since returning under Mikel Arteta fr- from last February or March when it was yeah. um, against Chelsea in the preseason. He didn't look too great at right back, and then again Friday night, I think. Not just him, but uh, I think they targeted Pablo Mari as well. But staying on Chambers, what kind of made, I guess, Mikel Arteta's view on the right-backs even clearer in the fact that he's got four that are able to play there in Chambers, Cedric, Bellerin and Maitland-Niles. But he chose to bring on Nuno Tavares at right-back instead. I think that speaks to how clearly, I guess, he wants to address that position. Even with Chambers for the first goal, I think the decision to just not let the ball um, go out for what would have been another corner, that was probably a rush decision that maybe someone who wasn't under pressure would make, I think. Uh, it's a uh, hard one to make that decision yeah. though, isn't it? To give yeah, away it's a, a split corner. second. Yeah, split second decision. But I think maybe someone who was a bit clearer on what the situation was would have been a bit clearer on what, was demanded from them at the time. But yeah, I think in terms of the whole defence, even what was probably even more striking was how quickly they looked to target Pablo Mari on the left side of the defence. Like yeah. Ivan Tony pretty much bullied both Mari and uh, Ben White. And then uh, Mboma as well played very well in terms of just running at or behind Mari and also pressing him very well. So from very early on, it felt like Arsenal's defence were almost, I guess, intimidated of Brentford, um, second-guessing themselves But where's the intensity? Uh, James, where's the intensity? I mean, Brentford were up for that, right? Now, I'm not saying Arsenal weren't up for the game, but uh, honestly, we didn't look like we we were competing at the same level that they are. And that is what you have to do it. A big team going away. We knew this wasn't going to be an easy game. We knew Brentford, they're coming up. They've got their own fans back in the stadium. They're going to be pumped. It's like a sort of West London version of Sheffield United, right? And mm. and yet we didn't appear to be totally ready for it. I think we did struggle to match them physically. Uh, I think in fairness, you have to look at the players that were missing and think Gabriel, Partey, Saka didn't start, Lacazette and Aubameyang. I mean, these are guys who physically can compete with with most players in the league. Yeah, uh, I think without them, we suffered and we lacked a kind of presence through the spine of the team. Um, I think Art's absolutely right about Marie and White. They were given the runaround, really. And it's going to be really interesting to see how Ben White adapts to playing in a back four. You know, he's played in a back three pretty much throughout his time at Brighton. The demands in a central pair are different. And, you know, Brentford put two up top in Mbwemo and Tony, and they they really gave Arsenal a really difficult time. And I think other teams will have seen that and will exactly. probably look to do the same thing. Yeah, that that's the worry for me. I mean, look, coming up, Tim Stillman said it on uh, uh, Twitter this morning, and I've been saying it for a, for a few days as well. Next week is Chelsea and uh, uh, Lukaku is very likely to be playing. West Brom, by the way, is no gimme in the um, Carabao. That's who we got, isn't it? West Brom. Yeah. And then um, and then we play uh, Manchester City, possibly or probably with Harry Kane uh, in the lineup. I mean, 
<laughs> and, and as you say, after that, every other team will go right. What we do is we get we we pump it up to our centre forward, we bully their centre halves, uh, and we try and get in behind them because one of their centre halves is too so turns like a ship in the harbour. So where? <laughs> I mean, all right. Here's the question, James. I'll ask you this. Do you think there was an overreaction? I mean, there was a lot of Arteta out stuff on Twitter, and I think that's a little bit crazy. But do you think people overreacted to what was a pretty poor performance? I think that if you're talking about it as one game in isolation, the first game of the season, purely on that result, then I think you could call it an overreaction. But I don't think that's the only thing people are reacting to. They're reacting to the general sense of frustration and malaise that is around the club. And I think that, you know, the result and how disappointing it was, was simply the tipping point. I think there've been a lot of other frustrations that have built up over the last sort of 18 months or so, really. And I think that that is what we saw sort of an outpouring of on Friday night. But it is going to be very difficult for the manager. Like you say, he's got tricky games coming up. I don't have hugely high hopes that he'll achieve many points in that. I hope I'm wrong. And that's, you know, I think most fans accept that he's not going to be sacked after the first three games of the season. But what it is going to do is place him under enormous pressure and enormous scrutiny. And it's just going to make his job difficult, basically. And 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 something that happens with managers, when they go through a very bad run, like Mikel Arteta did in the middle of last season, or first half of last season, rather, it doesn't take much for opinions to slip back to that place. You know, that painful memory, the trauma of that sustains. And if Arsenal go on a little losing run at the start of this season, I think a lot of the same grievances will be aired and somewhat understandably. Yeah, what did you say, Art? The, the headline to your piece, was it uh, a blunt in attack and um, weak? Was it weak in defence, I think, was the headline that you wrote? Uh, yeah, the other day. I, I didn't and I, write the headline, so I'm well, not sure. But No, but, but it <laughs> but, was basically that. And yeah. I thought, well, that could have been written. I mean, I know we did improve our defending uh, last season, but, you know, that second goal, I mean, all of us who watched Arsenal away at Stoke over the years, I've seen, there was even a bloke wiping the ball with the towel beforehand. <laughs> there was, and a raucous, noisy crowd. And it all felt a little bit inevitable, that second goal, didn't it? Yeah, and I think even after that, so... Maybe it was from a corner, but very yes. similar situation. Ball into the near post and Bernd Leno's just there flapping at it rather than taking control of the situation. And I think for the first goal, maybe you can cut him a little bit of slack because of the amount of bodies that, that are there. But also it's up to the other defenders that are around him to read the situation properly. One, not let the ball bounce inside the, the six-yard no. box. And then also just have somebody who is reacting on the line. I think Kieran Tierney was on the post, maybe. but Yeah, but he, was um, he had no chance yeah. by the time the ball yeah. came across. But I was just watching I was just watching it thinking, oh, Tony Adams or <laughs> Steve Bold would have got their heads to this and got yeah. rid of it. And and that's that's how you defend, not the way we defended. Um, there are some positives, and we will get to the positives. Uh, the president of Rwanda, Paul Kagame, is not very happy, James. <laughs> is this a positive? Um, it, uh, well, no, I don't want to. I don't want to upset Rwanda. I don't know quite. We've got some sponsorship deal going with him, and and good on him. But he, in his own presidential way, was expressing the same feelings we all were. 
Well, yeah, I guess it's helped us, uh, you know, it's helped us feel closer to Rwanda. We've always had that (laughs) name on our shirts and for many of us, we've sort of wondered why, but now we know, you know. He's a fan. He's a fan. Makes lots of sense. Yeah. yeah. Just on Bern Leno, by the way, just very quickly, I I couldn't help but think about what Jens Lehmann, one of his predecessors and, and countrymen, would do in that situation. And I think, I mean, he would have done one of two things, basically. The guy who was fouling him, he would have shoved him off and probably got away with it because goalkeepers get away with all sorts of stuff. Or he would have just gone to ground, I suspect, and won a free kick. And, you know, Lehman wasn't perfect, but he he liked the fight in that six-yard box. And I think he understood quite well the parameters of what he could get away with. And I just felt like Leno was very, very meek in the face of what Brentford were doing. And that spoke to me of a player who whose confidence is suffering right now. In the replay, I think it's behind the goal. So that replay, you could see mm. once the ball's gone in, he's straight away appealing for a foul for, um, from Pontus Janssen. Right. Um, and I it think was a foul. that... I, I it know, is a but, foul, I think. Of course but it was a foul, yeah. I just thought, yeah, it was not great. But I've seen I've seen on. that look, James. I've seen that look in comedians just before they go on stage sometimes. I genuinely have. The look on Burnt Leno's <laughs> face of fear and lack of confidence. And you know it's not gonna go well. And you yeah. know it's not gonna go well. And I and I just I wonder how that confidence can be fixed. And I hope he's not reading the fan forums or any of that stuff, because that wouldn't help at all. Um there were a few positives. But unfortunately, I'm looking at the names that are bright sparks. Emil Smith-Rowe, Kieran Tierney and Bukayo Saka when he came on. And by the way, fair play to Brentford fans for the way they clapped Bukayo Saka when he came on. I don't think it's going to go on the whole season, but it's nice to see it's not just us who feel that way about him. Yeah, Smith-Rowe, Tierney and Saka, these are the same positives that we've been talking about uh, last season. And they are also, by the way, aside from one or two, the youngest players in the team. I mean, it's great to have talent, which is young and, and could do really well. But where are the experienced players? Why are they not stepping up? Yeah, people asking the same on the podcast. Art's brilliant, but where is Amy when you need it? You know what I mean? <laughs> um, Ow. <laughs> but I think, um, <laughs> I, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and if, you know, that was sort of exemplified by after the game. Was it Sambi Lakonga who yes. went out to do the post-match interview and, and then Ben White, I believe, as well. And really, you do want to see a Granite Shaka, someone like that, the guy wearing the armband, taking responsibility for the result and the performance in that setting. I know maybe you know people want to hear from the new signings, but that was a bit symbolic, really. You're right, you could have predicted the names that would play well. Saka came on and played well. Smith-Rowe was very good. Kieran Tierney, as you would expect, gave absolutely everything. It's some of the more senior players you would have maybe liked to see more from. It was a difficult night as well for the less experienced players. You know, Balogun, Martinelli's probably not had that many starts in the Premier League and I didn't think he had his best night. And I think it's a bit of a, maybe a slight reality check in terms of what we can expect from these really young players. You know, not the guys like Saka and Smith-Rowe who've already made the steps of the first team, but the group slightly behind that who we're looking to push on. You know, I, I think this showed that Balogun's gone basically from academy football straight into the Premier League and that adaptation is going to take time. Quite. We were looking for positives there. <laughs> Sorry, I and didn't mean where, to. But that's where we've ended up and I, and I think that's uh, uh, quite a nice way uh, to finish part one. Hold up. 
This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League 1? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We were a bit uh, with the handbrake at time. This is Handbrake Off, the Arsenal podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Ian Stone here with James McNicholas and Art De Roche. Uh, James, your piece about the transfer targets. Um, mm. Well, Martin Erdegaard is back on. I mean, it, it, it's I really like watching him play. And there were a couple of games last season when he ran that midfield. We do need an experienced head in there. And I know he's young, but he is captain of Norway and... and he is a legitimate target. He would know the place, so he would he'd get up and running fairly quickly. How likely is that to happen? I think we've got a pretty good chance, I have to be honest, and that's mainly because of what's happening in Madrid. They needed to sell a few first-team players this summer. I don't think Odegaard was top of the list of players they want to get rid of, but you know, a problem that's afflicting Arsenal is difficulty moving players on, and Madrid have suffered in the same way. So... He has become less of a priority to keep and more a priority to sell. He was left out of their squad at the weekend. And basically, Arsenal have been waiting for the green light. I mean, they've always wanted Odegaard. I think he's been the number one target since the start of the summer. Uh, but, you know, he had said publicly he wanted to continue at Madrid. He wanted to, you know, show his commitment to them and see their commitment to him. I think he's now got the message from Madrid that actually maybe they're not as committed to him as he might have liked. No. And their move becomes a possibility again. Uh, I, I think we've got a pretty good chance to get this one over the line. He's got a good relationship with Arteta. He knows the club. He knows it'll be coming into. I don't think the cost would be too prohibitive, actually. And I don't think the salary would be, salary would be crazy either. And I'm personally pro it. I think at 22 years old, he's someone who's really going to improve. You know, he's not yet into the prime of his career. The natural talent is there. I think we need more creativity. We know he can dovetail with Smith Smith Rowe. I think it's a bit of a no-brainer. I guess the only aspect of his game that maybe is lacking is goal scoring. You know, for a team who need goals from midfield, he doesn't have that punch really in the final third. But sometimes that does come to players a little bit later. Hopefully, Odegaard will be one of those. I'm not sure that is quite the case. I think he is more a creator than a goal scorer. I think it's Smith Rowe and maybe Saka will have to look to to try and improve their goal scoring tallies going forward. Yeah. Um, And while we're talking about fallen Spanish giants, there's a bit of a fire sale at Barcelona as well. And because Aaron Ramsdale fell through Art, um, Neto, the... um, 
Barcelona goalkeeper as a, a target. He would be a backup, would he, or would he be a first-choice goalkeeper if we got him? I think starting as a backup would be the most realistic way of looking at it. But as we saw last season and uh, with Matty Ryan, I think if there are times where Bernd Leno say, OK, the first time Matty Ryan started, it was because Bernd Leno was injured. But then the Fulham game was after a very patchy bit of form from Bernd Leno. So if there are some games where a change is needed, I don't think Mikel Arteta would be too scared to make that change, especially considering how early in the season it is. So yeah, I think with that, whether or not he comes in, it would be to, I guess, be the number two at first, but then there would probably be, I guess, room to to make that a more competition for Leno and pushing him for the number one spot. Because if you're looking at, I guess, the, the Ramsdale story, I guess over the summer we'd call it, um, yes, the initial thoughts were backup, but there was also the the thoughts that in the future there could be more competition for the number one spot. So I think it would probably be the same semantics with with Neto. And James, as for a striker, do we do we need a striker? I mean, if Lacazette and Abamian play to their potential, we're okay for forward players, aren't we? Especially if Martinelli steps up a little bit. Maybe I think. I wrote a piece if, during I last season. Yeah, I wrote a piece during last season where I sort of said, I'm not quite convinced either Aubameyang or Lacazette are Mikel Arteta's ideal type of centre-forward. And I still kind of stand by that. I don't think either of them have the specific combination of qualities that he is yes. looking for in a striker. So I think that's why we've seen a number of other strikers linked. There has been interest in you know, Tammy Abraham, who you mentioned in part one, uh, Lautaro Martinez uh, into Milan who in different ways are kind of, you know, different types of forwards that you could see fitting into Arteta's system. I, I think basically the issue is Arsenal have got plenty of strikers already. It's a little bit like the right-back situation. They've got Aubameyang, they've got Lacazette, Eddie Nketiah still very much there, although of That's course true. he's injured at the moment. And then Balogun and Martinelli kind of bring up the rear as the, the young promising players, as you say. But I feel like if we make the assumption Nketiah's going to go, and I, I really have to think that is going to be the outcome for him, between Aubameyang and Lacazette and Balogun and Martinelli, I do feel there's a bit of a gap there. I think that Arsenal could do with a kind of striker in their early to mid-20s, entering the prime of their career to help carry that burden. But I think they could only really make room for that if they could move somebody on. And as we've said many times, that has been Arsenal's big problem in this market, finding buyers for the players who are, if not surplus to requirements, then certainly available for transfer. Yeah, and, and, and on that subject, uh, I mean, we were talking just before about Hector Bellerin wanting out. There's quite a few other players that uh, we would certainly sell if we could get the right price for them. Should we not just cut our losses with some of these players and just sell them for what we can get for them and, and just clear the squad out? Or is that too... Oh, I'll ask you this. I mean, is that too radical a solution? Because what is the point of having Cedric mm. Suarez in the squad or Ainsley making a nose if you're not going to use him. Yeah, I, I I get the argument. And I think when you're looking at those players in particular, so Cedric, Maitland-Niles, and uh, Sayed Kalasinac is another one. Why haggle when, <laughs> when especially they're not Joe Willock type situations where the buyer is incredibly attracted to that player that 
is a number one option for them. These are players who are iffy, very iffy. And I think that when it comes to those negotiations, I guess we saw it with Granite Xhaka as well, when Roma are coming in under the valuation that Arsenal made. Arsenal, I guess they want to be stubborn and they want to be in a position where they can, I guess, dictate what happens. But yeah. if, if you can't, if, if other teams aren't willing to meet your valuation, then especially with how the market is this summer and was last summer, then you might just have to bite the bullet. Otherwise, you kind of get yourself in a situation where you're terminating contracts again, like you did with Skodra Mustafi, Socrates and Mesut Ozil. And we know that even though they may not leave for sales and you might not be paying their wages anymore, you still have to pay them off to, to, to terminate those contracts. So you're still in a way losing out, I think, when even when you are letting those players go that way. So I, I do get the argument 100%. Why not just get what you can while you can get it and then worry about the other stuff later? Yeah, we should say at this point, we're not alone in this regard. I mean, pretty much everyone is trying to sell <laughs> and no one is buying aside from Chelsea, PSG, May United and Man City, as far as I can tell. Let's have a song to finish. James, we'll start with you. A song. I struggled this week. They were all quite gloomy. Uh, and then I thought... <laughs> Wait till you hear mine. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought, how would I... What would I want to see from Arsenal a little bit in the next game? I'd love that handbrake to be off. So I actually went for Freedom by George Michael. Great song. That, that's fine. Okay, be lovely. Okay, Art, what about you? <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't even know what, what kind of vibe to go for this week. It's up to you. You set uh, the vibe, Art. Okay. So... I'll go for, so this is like more upbeat, hopefully, but this is just going to be in, in thinking of September uh, rather than Chelsea and Manchester City. And I'm hoping Arsenal are reborn like the song by Kanye West and Kid Cudi. So yeah, I'll go for reborn. You've gone positive, both of you, haven't you? I like that. I've <laughs> yeah, gone down, yeah. down by status quo. Okay? <laughs> right, yeah, okay. Next one is deeper and down, okay? So, uh, uh, yeah. That's Chelsea that's, and Man City, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> that's <laughs> where my head is. Right now, uh, thank you, James. Thank you, Art. Thank you also to Abby, uh, our producer. And thank you for listening. I mean, last week I said keep the faith. I guess <laughs> the message stays the same. I'm Ian Stone. Thank you for listening. See you soon. Ta-ra. 